In college, um, I was talking with some friends of mine, I don't know, a little while back about this. and I joined a fraternity, like, without really intending to, you know. I understood later that people were pledging and it was kind of a, a, a thing. And um, I didn't really know it was happening. I, I uh, didn't come from that sort of background. And I went to a school, though, where, it, you know, a really big school, Bucknell. It's got, like, 3,000 students. And and it's the same size as the town, you know. The town doubles during the uh, when school's in session. And there in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, you know Lewisburg, there is the Susquehanna River, and there's a little place where you can get personal pizzas, and there's not all much else. And so what happened was I had some friends who were on the soccer team, my first, and they invited me to a party, and and so I went because, in case I haven't told you, there's nothing to do there. So I went to the party, and it was at a fraternity, okay, and and they had one the next night, okay. I'll go again. At some point along the way, I understood that they were doing this thing called rush, you know, and but I had no real intention. Uh, I didn't know anything about fraternities. No real intention of of, of joining it. And and then it, it, along the way, I realized that it was actually sort of an ex- exclusive thing at one level. They were trying to pick and choose and. And then they came to me one night and, um, and and asked me, you know, brought me back room and said, we'd really like you to join us. Now, I was, you know, feeling pretty good about myself. Um, but this is one other thing. You see, I, I uh, one night, I think it was actually the same night, I was standing there next to a guy, and he was going like this. And then he threw up on my feet. <laughs> so I was feeling really good about myself until I discovered that throw-up boy had also been asked to uh, pledge. So apparently not that exclusive a club to get into. But there I was. You know, life is filled with lots of exclusive things. You know, lots of things where you either make the cut or or you don't. And, uh, you know, clubs and organizations and sports teams. If any of you are involved in a a, a sports team, you know, at some level there were were cuts on on most teams. And that can be a real hard process of of being in and out. And... um, well, even if you weren't on a sports team, if you ever had to go to gym class, you know, where you're 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 getting picked, and there's that whole process of you're in or out, exclusive, and okay, you come on my team, you know, last guy standing, and um, it's it's part of life. But there's certain areas where we're not real keen on exclusivity, and it's sort of in you know publicly traded social things like religion. You know, religion is, is not in, in our mind. It's not supposed to be exclusive. It's supposed to be wide open, and and to everybody. And the idea that you know, in and out, is, is not really considered, you know, um, socially appropriate. And, and so it's been one of the knocks on, on Christianity, really, since its in, in inception, is that it's 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 narrow. You know, it's it's kind of rigid, kind of exclusive. You know, you're in, you're out, but which doesn't sit well, honestly, with with uh, with most of us. Um, and the truth is, if you look at Maybe in my life you might see some real narrow-mindedness. And in a church you could see some real narrow-mindedness. The interesting thing is if you look at Jesus and his teachings, it's really not that simple. Now he makes some incredibly narrow statements. Don't get me wrong, some just definingly narrow statements. But on the other hand, he is so inclusive that he actually irritates people. I mean, he's, he, it's almost like he's saying, hey, you, you want to your commitment. You know, it, he, he gathers this ragtag group of people around himself, and the religious leaders today are saying, seriously, do you have any boundaries whatsoever? Or is it like Bruce's fraternity? I mean, any boundaries at all? You know, a prostitute? Sure, why not? 
thief who's about to be killed for his crimes? No problem. Tax collectors, Roman centurions, anybody. I mean, he throws it absolutely wide open, completely inclusive. Anybody gets in to the extent that people are saying, really, Jesus, get a boundary or two. And what happens is this. Every time, well, I shouldn't say every time, that's an exaggeration, but often in his three-year ministry, as crowds start to gather, you know, big crowds start to gather around him, he will, <laughs> he will do these incredibly either cryptic or incredibly exclusive comments that almost as if saying, great, great, c- crowd around me, yeah, not many of you are getting in. You know, not really a way to sort of build followers, you wouldn't think. And most of his exclusive statements come in the midst of him speaking to a large crowd because honestly, he's not sort of interested in crowds. He's not interested in hangers-on. He's interested in communicating things that are deeply transformational to people. And when he gets the sense, I mean, it's wide open to anybody, when he gets the sense that people just, oh, sure, why not? He says, no, no, let me, let me help you to understand what I'm teaching. Today is one of those passages. In every one of those passages, he's not simply trying to, like, narrow it down. He takes that occasion to make a searing point about what he is calling us to and, and how powerful it can be. And today, it's an extremely important point about how he's calling us to live our lives and some choices and actions that we have to make. And it's found in a passage that no doubt some of you are familiar with called the, the parable of the sower. And uh, as every week in this series, I'll, I'm reading, I'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke, the account that Luke gives of Jesus' life. But let me just give you just a, just a little bit of a background. First, the concept of parable. The parable was a, was a uniquely... Hebrew uh, invention at that time. There were not other cultures that were teaching in that way. But in the Hebrew culture, they had a, they had a habit, a, a, teaching, a teaching method of taking a story. And in that story, they would wrap a, a moral or a spiritual or a religious truth in the heart of it. Just one truth they were trying to get across. But they would tell a story. And in that story, here's the, here's the, point, here's the point I'm making to you. It was a very, very clever and powerful teaching technique. And Jesus often does. And he uses all sorts of things as, as uh, parables. He takes you know, stories of, of, of weddings, and he'll tell a story about people fishing. And, and one of the most famous stories in the Bible is, is a parable. It's the, the parable of the prodigal son, where he tells the story of, of a family and, and two sons and, and uses that to make an, an important point. Well, today, in this parable, he's telling a, a story about, about farming, about growing stuff. And he speaks into a decidedly agrarian society. There were, there were cities there, of course, but it's an agrarian society where people would have nodded along as he gave this story about how you make things grow. So I'm going to read from that, and, and, and as I've been doing these, we'll, we'll read through a part of it, talk about it a little bit, and make our way through the end. Luke chapter 8. And this is what it says. While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. I mean, again, just to re- reiterate, he, large crowd coming. People coming from all sorts of towns. He's, he's got a following going. He's really got something going on. At that point, at that moment, he tells a parable. And he says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, 
and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I mean, that's a pretty simple, a pretty simple story. You know, in a society where there was not systematic you know, farming techniques, you know, not, not machinery going on here, and people were sowing by hand. And It's like if any of you have you know, done fertilizer or um, grass seed, you'll, you'll sort of get the, the point. You know, I, I have one of the, when I do, I have a small yard, and so I, when I do a seed, you know, I got this little tiny thing that you spin like this, and occasionally I'll decide, no, I need to do it by hand, and that usually amounts to me putting large clumps in one place and, and nothing somewhere else. But if you're doing it, what happens is some of it is, you know, some of it gets on the driveway. And, and you know, no big deal. I, I'm pretty confident it's not going to grow on the driveway, but you really can't do anything about it. It's not like you can be that accurate. You know, you can't get to the edge and not put it on the driveway. So some of it's going to be in the driveway, and it's not going to grow. It's just sort of the cost of, of doing business, of trying to grow seed or use fertilizer. And some of it's going to end up in the... Uh, you know, the, the pine straw, and it's just going to sit there in the pine straw, maybe forever. And it's not going to grow because it's not really even in, in the dirt at all. And, and others, it's going to, you know, get caught up where there's some rocks, and, and not, not a whole lot's going to happen. But some of it is going to land where it's supposed to, and uh, it's, it's going to grow. I mean, so it's a, really, it's a really relatively simple story, and people will be going, all right, Jesus, here comes a parable. Very good. We're with you so far. And, and then he, he goes on his um, rather in, infuriating, I would think, tactic of crypticness this is what happens it says his disciples asked him what this parable meant he said and now I want you to understand something. this is what it appears to happen he says that to everybody and then his disciples pull him aside and say what are you talking about and he tells them something and, and doesn't appear to tell the rest anything about it he says the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you but to others I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see though hearing they may not understand like, really? We're, you're telling them so that seeing they may not see, so hearing they may not understand. It is this passage alone that makes me believe in the spiritual gift of sarcasm. Is that Jesus, Jesus is going, look, here's reality. Here's reality. For some people, it can be directly in front of their face. And they won't see it. For some people, they'll hear it. They'll hear what I'm saying to me, but they won't understand. Simply hearing something or seeing something with your senses is not enough. And now let me explain to you what this parable is about. And this is what he says. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. And let me just pause for a moment to say this. Often, you know, in our culture, we say word of God, and we say, oh, the Bible. Well, I mean, at, at some level, true. You know, we believe that the, the Bible is, is God's word, that he's spoken to humanity through it, and he's told the story of redemption through it. But I don't think it's simply that. In other words, when he said, Jesus says that the seed is the word of God, the seed is, 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 tr- is truth, is, is, how, is how truth is revealed to you. And, it, and certainly it can be revealed to you as you read the Bible, but also it can be revealed to you in, in, in a one-on-one encounter when somebody speaks to you, whether it's a, a counsel or a, a challenge or an, or an encouragement. And he says, so the seed is, I'm talking about, is when, when people hear something that's true and true for their lives. Those along the path are ones who hear and then the devil comes away 
and takes the words from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And he says, that's, the, that's the, what I was just talking about. There, there are some there, they heard, but it's as if they didn't hear. For all practical purposes, they didn't hear. It would have the same effect if nothing was ever spoken. For, for what, whatever reason, it, it, you know, it's where you get the concept of, of hard heart. It, nothing penetrated. It didn't, it didn't penetrate. Words were spoken, things were seen, but they were not embraced. The reasons are left unsaid. They weren't embraced. And it's as if they never heard. Jesus says, well, there's a, a second group. Those of the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. He said, there's some, you do seem to see a discernible effect. You know, there's a, there's a certain excitement. They hear something and, oh, that's, that's true. That's really... But in time of testing, and by that I don't think he means literally just, just simply when, you're get, when trial, when hard times happen. I mean, when, when that newfound belief is tested. Tested in any way. Tested by some other cause coming along. Tested by the, 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 the affection or lack thereof of, of friends. Tested by anything. It, it, you know, people hear something and it seems, oh, that's good, I like that. I like that. But it doesn't really go anywhere. It, it, it barely goes skin deep and it never penetrates deeply into the heart. And so, as soon as something else comes along and pushes it at all, it, 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 it's gone. And then he says, there's a, there's a, there's a third group. That's the seed that, that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures and they do not mature and, and I think he says that there are some that it, it seems to go in I, I think it goes in now you know people ask you know questions like well are these people who have really embraced the teachings of Jesus and are followers of it I don't know I really don't and what it seems to say though is there's some people that they receive it and it's, it appears to go into their life but either you know Worries or pleasure. It's really interesting. I don't normally put those two things together, you know? Worries and pleasures. Worries. He, he, he says, it doesn't matter what it is. But there are some that they receive it, they, they think this is true, and yet, when the worries, the cares, the concerns, the brokenness of life, or <laughs> either, either way, or the riches, the joys, and the pleasures take higher precedence they become the dominant forces in that person's life. And what they heard, they, they understood it, but it, they didn't embrace it. It, it, it. In no way can you see that it affects or has changed their life. They may believe it, but what you see is the dominant force, the God, the driving force, that which is, is the reason for their existence that, that motivates and defines their actions and in some level defines who they believe they are, are their worries, are their riches, are their pleasures. Those become, for them, really God, that which... You know, defines their heart. And there's a fourth group. He said, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. I feel like I need so much time to get to the bottom of what he's saying in that little phrase, which I cannot take today. Those with a noble and good heart. They retain it. I hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce the crop. 
He said, there are some as the truth is broadcast. It sinks in. They retain it. They embrace it. It becomes not simply something they assent to, something they believe, something they join, something they sort of follow. It becomes theirs. They own it. It becomes so deep in who they are that their life's actions are defined by what they have now seen to be truth that they have brought deeply into their soul. Now, there are a dozen different directions to go in this passage. There, there quite honestly, is so much for me that felt like it could be pulled out. And one of the things I'll only skate over now is that in many ways, I think this is a, a, a powerful, the third group is sort of a powerful indictment of our current culture, if not indictment, challenge which is this, I, you know, it's, it's been said that, that our, our culture is made up of individuals who largely are a pastiche, a hodgepodge of different beliefs and synchronized together in all sorts of funky add-on ways. And, and because of that, there is no defining force for their life and they tend to float. They tend to exist without a great deal of anchoring, without a profound amount of conviction. And, and so whether they are rich or poor, those things define them. Riches define who they are. Paucity defines who they are. Worries and issues define who they are. It's not as if they are someone with deeply held convictions and so they face adversity or success with that strong, deeply held conviction, but rather those things become the driving force in their lives. But the main point I want to get to is this. In this passage, at the heart of all of this, Jesus appears to be saying this. You want to understand exclusivity? There is a singular point in this passage. The singular point that defines whether or not that which you hear makes discernible, long-term effect in your life is receptivity whether or not it goes in, whether or not it's embraced, whether or not it's owned. He would say life is not defined and you are not defined by what you assent to, by what you own. And what makes the broadcast version of Christianity look incredibly exclusive is, is not just hearing it. Will you embrace it? And let me give you two very specific ways of looking at what it would mean and why it's important to not simply hear, but to embrace and to own. The first is in terms of your relationship with Jesus for now and for eternity. I, I've told you all some of my story of coming to faith, and I just want to focus for a moment on one small part of it, and that, that is this. I came to a place where I believed... I believed it was true. I believed certain things were true. I believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I came to that place. That was not an easy place for me to get to because I started fairly far away from that. But I came to a place of believing that was true, that Jesus was the Son of God. And so there actually was a God. I came to a place of believing 
that he saw my life, that he saw the brokenness in the midst of it. I came to a place of believing that I saw the mess deep in the heart of my life, that something was wrong. I saw the beauty and I saw the brokenness, all of it laid before me. I came to that place of, that place of sort of crystal clarity about who I was and believed that Jesus had come to forgive me and that my soul's destiny was to be connected with him. That life was not to be an untethered existence. But there was a God who had been in hot pursuit of me and was calling me to himself. I came to assent to that. And while the lag time was relatively brief, a couple of days, the, the gap between my assent to that and my decision to own it was massive. It was, it was a huge gulf. And, and, and I, I, it's hard for me to describe to you in a way that you understand unless you've also been in exactly that place where I thought, I believe this stuff is true. Now, what am I going to do? What, what am I going to do with this? And, and the truth is, in, in one of those, if you did an alternate ending to my life, I, you know, here, it, life's dynamic. And I, I happened to be in that period of time away from home, away from the forces that normally defined my life. And I, I had this space in which to think and consider and make some decisions. If, in that gap time between ascent and owning it, if I had gone back home, I do wonder, what would, it, what would that have looked like? As all the forces started to press on me again, as, the, as the, the fear, the wonder of what my friends might think if I said now I believed in Jesus, I believed there was a God and I wanted to follow him with my life, that I believed my heart was made for him, I would wonder what they would, what they would have thought. I would have been facing them in the eye. I would have been being called to go and do this and that. And I, I wonder, what, would I have just gone to a place of ascent and then gone, I'm moving on. Would it have just existed in the back of my head as some distant memory of something for a period of time felt compelling? But that's not what happened. What happened was I had this space to consider what will I do with what I now know to be true. And as I wrestled and struggled with that and realized that so many of the beliefs that I'd held had fallen, were, were crumbling around me, what would I do? And I cannot tell you how hard it was to consider making that choice. And then I did. There was just this moment where I knew, well, Bruce, it's true. Will you live your life by what you know not to be true? Or you embrace it? In that moment, I owned it. I owned it. I said, not simply this is true. I said, this is true, and I will take this into my heart. Jesus, come into my life. Rescue me. Deliver me to yourself for some of you that space that gap is where you are hovering and you know because you're bright you know that skittering around the edges of a church and loosely holding to some beliefs doesn't really do anything at all you know that it has precious little defining force in your life 
And quite honestly, you, what you need to know is what a friend of mine was said here at Warehouse one day as he had been considering for a long period of time should he embrace the teachings of Jesus and his call to his life or not was somebody else looked over at him and said, so, are you going to or get off the pot? That's what I'm telling you. Are you going to, you know, or get off the pot? One or the other. That's what makes Christianity exclusive. This is what Jesus says. He doesn't just sort of, oh, whatever, just go to bleep a little bit. He says, in or out. I mean, seriously, in or out. Just what, I, I realized later as I read through the Bible, this was a consistent message of Jesus. <laughs> in or out. You can't be sort of in. You can't be sort of pregnant, can't be sort of married, can't be sort of a Christian. In or out. With all the respect I have for you and your personal choices and with all the conviction I hold, choose in God made you for himself he's calling you home don't skitter around life with a hodgepodge of loosely held beliefs second thing I'd say to you is this this passage at some level defines for us what spiritual growth looks like and I, you know defining spiritual growth is a process in and of itself but some level what spiritual growth means is I am growing closer in my relationship with God I understand more of who he is and how he views me and it affects how I live my life increasingly and what Jesus says in this really without contradiction what Jesus says in this is spiritual growth is defined not by how much you know but how much you embrace how much has come to roost at the deepest level of your life what you believe and own and what he'd say is if you believe that the gospel is true and yet you live with loosely defined beliefs that you're not really living your life on the truth is you don't really own them 30 years into being a Christian I've come to see increasingly that many of the things I held were cultural beliefs. I didn't believe them. Somebody told me to believe them. But there's a core of things that now I know are at the deepest level true and transformational. And like this passage, there's a number of things we can do with that which we hear. We can look at this and file away as an interesting point about the singularity of receptivity an important point or we can ask this question what do I really believe and do I live with conviction what is it that's defining how and why I act what do I embrace not know what do I embrace and I would encourage you to take this process to heart ask questions to sort of 
hone down what you actually believe. To whittle away at the stuff that's just excess. So you can come to that, those fundamental, those central truths that you say, ah, these are, <laughs> these are true. And I want to know these truths more and have them sink deeper in my life. It is why we approach spiritual formation like we do at Warehouse. It's why we are attempting to layer resources such that we're not trying to deluge you with information after information with increasing bits, but rather we're trying to focus on something and layer it with resources for the small group and, and, and Twitter feeds and blogs and take it further in a way that allows us to focus and, and hone in and grapple with the heart of what we believe so that it sinks deeply in. It's, it's why we so encourage small groups. Now, not every small group is going to work this way, I promise you. But the concept is that small groups becomes that space where we can go, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure about this. Can we wrestle together with what exactly is the heart of what Jesus teaches us about this? Because I, I want to not simply have it, yeah, 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 yeah. I want, I want to believe, I want, it to, I want to embrace it, I want to be deeply within my soul, and so my life is transformed. And so can we wrestle with this? It's why at some level, I want to be cautious, at some level, I remain bothered by creeds and catechisms. I understand why they're there, there is a, point to them, I, I see the point to them, but at some level I, I, I'm, I'm wary of repeating things that I'm not sure I believe every part of. I, I don't know what that can possibly do good for my soul. Don't live a life with ill-defined beliefs. It won't serve you well. If, if you want to be in an exclusive club, live with conviction. Try that. That in itself narrows the field. And it's what, in the end, makes Christianity extremely exclusive. Jesus comes to each one of us and says, boy, this stuff's true. And I, I love you. And, and I want to make your life Soar. I want to transform your soul so that you are so well defined that you live powerfully in the midst of all your moments. But embrace. Don't assent. Let's pray. Jesus, it, it is... Um, I just am so compelled by the fact that you... You were not willing to let us skitter around life with loosely held beliefs, but you sought at every moment where you saw people just sort of hanging on and you sought to define and clarify for our sake so we, we would get to the heart and know that life is not about hearing, but it's about hearing, embracing, and because that living life's based upon those deeply held core solid beliefs. Make us into a people of deep conviction who know exactly what we believe, why we believe it. And so it impels us into a life of transformation and a life of impact. 
We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Take a metaphorical breath. I'll take a real one. It's an example. Take a metaphorical breath. Pause for a moment. We offer this remainder of the time as a way for all of us as a community to engage, to hear, to respond, to approach God. I pray that this would become a space to do that for you. We always begin our time of response with an offering. And we, and we do that because we believe at our core that life is lived by embracing what Jesus does for us. That he, he brings profound truth and resources into our lives and this gives us a picture of how we live back from that. That which is at, at our heart we long to give out. We also do it because we believe that as we live that life of responding back to Jesus, that he allows us through our, our sometimes seemingly paltry gifts, talents, and resources, he allows us to be a force in impacting the city around us.